Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Welcome back to another episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. I'm Mathani. I'm Emma. And today we have Madison with us. Hi, Madison. Hi. We're so excited to have her on today and for y'all to um, just hear her heart and her story. Um, We'll be talking about facing an unplanned pregnancy at 14 years old, the consequences of avoiding the grief and learning to move forward, as well as feeling small and going through the motions. Madison is a birth mother of 17 years to a son, and she is a parent to four more sons. Oh my goodness. Boy mom. Yeah, boy mama. Mm -hmm. Um, And is totally consumed by her mother role. Other things that she loves, photography. She's a movie fanatic, prefers rom-com. Obviously, The Notebook is her favorite, but even embraces the cheesy Hallmark movies. We were talking earlier about the uh, horrible, cringeworthy Christmas movies that for whatever reason, we're like on the edge of our seat as if we like can't it in the most predictable (laughs) movies. Um, and even loves mystery movies. So that's a little bit about Madison and who she is as a person. Um, but Madison, please share us uh, your story. I was 14 and um, my mom knew that I was pregnant. How? She and my aunt, um, my mom just had some motherly instinct and said, you're pregnant. That's it. You know, we're going we're gonna to take a test. I was like 14, so I was like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how a baby, I knew how a baby, I went to the class, but (laughs) I didn't know like that I could be pregnant. Did what my mom said, and we went to the bathroom, my aunt and I, and my mom, and the test obviously said pregnant. So I entered to the living room, and my grandmother was there, my sister, cousins, my whole entire family was there. Wow. And so it was announced she's pregnant. I remember laying on the couch and curling up and just like bawling because they're like, we're calling your dad now. And so they called my dad and my grandmother and my dad's side of the family was all over there. And they were actually at the dinner table eating and um, they answered the phone. Yeah, it was like a really traumatizing deal. Immediately, my grandmother on my mother's side was like, well, this is the agency we're going to go through and this is how we're going to do it. And there's no other questions about it. From that time starting in my pregnancy, I knew I was just kind of, I uh, didn't know how to feel. I was numb and I was just playing the emotions, doing yeah. what I was told as my parents told me. My father contacted the agency. How did, just to rewind a bit, why was adoption everyone's immediate response? Did you'll have adoption in the family? Absolutely not. I honestly have no idea. I never asked my family. I don't know. Uh, I was born in a Christian family where abortion was not an option, period. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of am glad for that just because I feel like that might have been more traumatizing. I don't really know why, but I know abortion was not an option. And parenting, my parents were like, I'm not raising another baby this is what we're doing. Adoption yeah. is it. This is it. Yeah. So my dad contacted the agency. I was still in, I was in junior high. Um, believe it or not, I failed fifth grade. So I was still in junior high. So mm-hmm. this was Thanksgiving. So we went over break. And so I went back to school 
and I was pregnant. So it was kind of weird. Some of the kids found out and I didn't know that till later. And they, you know, I was weird because I'm like, oh my God, she's so young. And I had to live in a dorm with several different girls that were pregnant. And I went there probably this was at the agency at the agency. Okay. I went to the agency and they had a dorm and a living area that you could live in. And so my parents chose this was the best choice for me. Um, there was a lot of shame and guilt with my pregnancy, as well as with my family. Mm. Uh, they didn't really want me to go to church and do family things. It was just kind of awkward situation. We did go, but it was just like, you could kind of tell that you could, I could feel the shame and the guilt. So when I moved into the dorm, I was the second youngest at the time. The youngest girl there was actually had just placed her baby and she was moving back to Arkansas or Oklahoma, wherever she was from. Then I became the youngest. So I was taken care of by all the women. I want to say there was maybe 11 to 15 women at the time. It was, and it was really nice, you know, to have that support system. They were my only support system. I went through the motions of it. Many girls chose to keep, many girls placed. I obviously chose to place. I chose my family online. I went, we had a computer room back, back in the day. There was no iPads and, and iPhones. Like I didn't <laughs> even have a cell phone. There was a landline in my room. This was 2003, right? Yeah, 2003. Okay. I went to the big computer room. They had like 10 computers in there and we sat in there and we were on MySpace, if you know what that means, <laughs> and uh, my emails and stuff. And so I, I would went on to the, the agency website and I had picked a family and I knew from the moment I saw them, this was it. They were from Hawaii, which is a place I had always wanted to go and visit and be part of. And she was a native Hawaiian. Um, her husband was, um, he worked, it looked like with ships in the Navy or something. They had a beautiful home, their packet, which I didn't get the packet. So I only got to see their profile picture and their about. So I knew right away, I had told all the girls in the dorm, nobody chooses this family. This is my family. And I <laughs> prayed no one online would have this family and pick this family. I couldn't choose them for another three months. So that was really hard for me to go about everything and not being able to choose them. And so scared for all three months that this, someone else is going to choose them before I got mm. to. You joined the dorm. How far along? Probably four months or five months pregnant. Okay. I was really okay. young, like small in my pregnancy. They advised waiting to choose a couple until you were further along. I think it was like seven months or six or seven months. You couldn't okay. choose until then. I don't remember exactly when. I just know it was like forever away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, so I chose them and they were like, well, before you choose this family, you need to make sure this is what your option, you, you are for sure going to do adoption and that um, you, this is what you plan on doing. I said, okay, you know, I didn't have another choice. So they handed me maybe six or seven more profiles of random people that I went through the motion. I had to call each one and they made me call them and ask questions. And I'm just like, why am I doing all this when I know what family I want? I just, just give me their profile and that's it. And they were just really weird and off and oddballs and just kind of different that I that's, did not. I that's not interesting in. because I feel like usually they would not want you to call or set up a meeting unless... You're somewhat sure. At least that's how it was put for me. 
Not that I couldn't. Like, they never said you – Mine – well, they told me – so, so in the beginning, they were like, you know, this family has already been through trauma, and we do not want to put them through something else. So we want to make sure that this is a decision you make, and you have to look at other profiles. Because I chose them online – they wanted me to physically look at profiles. I guess maybe protecting the family, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, and I wonder if you being 14 had anything to do with how they approached the situation too. Different like, situations. Maybe unsure, like, well, she's, you know, 14. Maybe she's not as confident or sure, And, you know, we can't force her yeah, to do I'm this. Yeah, I'm not for sure. So, I just know I told them, like, over and over, this is my family. This is what we're going to do. I, I want them. And they're like, well, you got to go through this and this and this. So I jumped through all their hoops they wanted me to jump through. <laughs> and I finally got the profile that I, I was like, finally. And I opened the book and every single page just made it more and more checked off my list. Mm-hmm. They were, they ran 5k miles with their family. Their family was always in town. No matter how far they were, they were always close. She's from Hawaii, so her family from Hawaii would come down to Texas or wherever they lived. They were all, you could just see that they had a large family. They had a son and a daughter already, and they wanted a third. She had blood transfusions. I'm not really sure why they wanted to adopt. They didn't really care, but I knew, like, they would have a, he'd have a brother and sister, and I just loved it. It was for me, and that was before I called them. Okay, looking back now, since, you know, 17 years later, what was that like choosing criteria at 14 years old? I have no idea. I was <laughs> asking them questions. I can't remember some of the questions. I know one was like, are, you know, are you a Christian? One was like, what was your dad like? Just, I don't remember all yeah. of them. I just remember like, I'm sure one was like, what's your favorite color? Like some <laughs> weird questions. Cause you don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what, what it was to be a parent at, 14, let alone pick parents for a newborn baby that I was having that I didn't really understand that I was having anyways. What questions do you ask when you're 14? You have no idea. So it was just, I had to ask questions because they told me you have to have questions to ask them. So did your caseworker help you come up with the list of questions? She, she did not. Um, I remember sitting at the table with other girls that had gone through this. Like I said, everyone took me under their wing. So all throughout the process, I was always with the other women and they would help me kind of come up with something. Mm -hmm. But once I got on the phone with them, the questions didn't matter. We just kind of started talking and they told me about their family. Now looking back at it, like thinking about this conversation, can you imagine being them asking a 14 year old questions? Right. You know, like, yeah. like they are talking to a child, getting their child. So it's just like, wow, like, I just can't even imagine their side of it. But it was just a really basic conversation. And her dad, like, it was like small little things that like my family did that her family did. They had great traditions. I just knew, honestly, no matter what they said on the phone, I just knew they were them. Like I knew in my heart and my soul that this was it. And so I chose them. We got to meet up finally at a little Mexican restaurant. I was really nervous. Like I remember being super nervous and like not knowing if they were going to like me or like, it was like a first date almost, which I had never been on one, but I mean, it was like that (laughs) to where I just didn't know what questions to ask. And like my palms were sweaty and, but it went really well. I, I felt like they were family. Like I had known them for years and who was all at that um, meeting? My caseworker, or I don't know if it was their caseworker or my caseworker, one a caseworker of some sort 
them, me, and my mother. They started sending me little gifts here and there, and we talked on the phone throughout. We emailed because that was the thing. We didn't text message or whatever. I remember her comforting me during an email and just kind of reassuring everything was going to be okay. They had really strict, the agency had really strict rules on what you can and can't say to the adoptive family. So it was hard to follow those guidelines back then because it was like written down. I had to always go over that and before I did anything. Okay. So now let's skip over to, um, I finally was in labor. I was up all night with contractions and I was laying on the couch because I didn't want to wake anyone up. And I was just kind of like breathing, doing the whole nine. And finally the, the lady of the house, she came up and she was like, Hey, and we called the, I don't know, is she a midwife or something? They call someone. I don't know what, what the term is. Uh, I think it's birth coordinator or something. Yeah. Something that, that lady, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And she'd take me to the hospital and the nurse wasn't so friendly. And like I said, this whole thing was very new to me and scary because mm-hmm. I had never experienced anything like this. So I knew I was in labor. Like you just knew, like, I was like, this is it. Like they sent me home with some medicine. I felt funny and still was in a lot of pain. So I ended up going back later that night. My birth coordinator had taken some NyQuil actually. I don't know why she would when she's on call, but she did. So she was like half asleep during this whole labor and I was in so much pain. No like all way. Night long. Yeah. And she was like asleep on the couch and I was just like trying to be quiet and like deal with this pain. It was so, it was, and I had back labor mm. and it was the worst. And so finally she kind of like, I, it was enough pain to where I was like, woke her up. I'm like, I need, I don't know what to do. Like it's hurting. And they wouldn't give me a lot until the doctor came. So they just kept giving me like subduing me until the doctor came at nine in the morning. And so I went from like eight at night till like nine or 10 and like, you know, this whole time without anything and like trying to deal. And the doctor finally came in and relieved me of all my pain. Like I remember being so exhausted and like Mm. my whole body was just done And he came in and gave me some morphine or something because I don't remember a lot. Everything was faded in and out. So it was like, I remember my grandma being there and taking my hair down, had long hair and she took it out of a ponytail. So it was like everywhere. And I, I didn't have enough energy to tell her to put it back. So I was just like really kind of like dozing in and out. And I saw the nurse, I saw my grandma, I saw my dad. and, And then all of a sudden there was a baby. And my oh. hair was literally everywhere. Like I have a picture of me with him and my hair is like just a sweat and every, it's so nasty. <laughs> so I saw him and he had so much black hair and olive skin and he was mm. the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And I just couldn't put that I was his mom. Like it just so like a dream or surreal, you know, mm. like, um, <clears throat> he did have breathing problems. So they had to take him right away. And the um, adoptive parents sent me these beautiful sunflowers. It says, you are my sunshine. And there were cookies. Beautiful. So pretty. So I call them. I pull out my address book because I had like, you know, it was an address book. We didn't have, you know, like I scrolled to the page mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I called them on the rotary phone, not rotary. It wasn't rotary, but it was a, like a landline. And I was like, Hey guys, you know, he's here and he's so beautiful. And she just like, the excitement coming from them completely took over my emotions and I just started crying and I couldn't stop. And I had to hand the phone to my dad because it was just, it just 
everything in that moment was like, yeah. oh, this is real. Like, th- this isn't, this, this is a real moment. Mm-hmm. So um, I spent every waking hour and day with him in the hospital. I don't think I slept at all. Um, even at one point, the fire alarm went off and my dad jumped up and he was like, what do we do? What do we do? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I can't leave the hospital, so I don't know. And so he's like running down the hall and it was like someone pulled the alarm or something. And so we stayed there for three days and he, like I said, had breathing problems. He had to stay in the hospital. Um, so I left. Before that, did you want to spend that time bonding with him? Yes, absolutely. I wanted every moment I could with him, no matter what I wanted to spend the max amount of time for as long as I could. We leave the hospital and that day was super hard for me. Um, we, they willed me past the nursery. We went down to the car and I didn't have my baby. I get in the car and immediately tears start flowing down. It was real. My attachment had grown throughout my pregnancy. I was a surrogate sees what I thought of myself. This wasn't my mm-hmm. child. This child was meant for someone else. But at that moment, he was mine. And my heart right now, like I can feel the pain of that day. Like it just, my heart just, it sinks. No, I didn't even go home. I went back to the agency. I went to the dorm. And I remember feeling so much pain, but it wasn't physical pain. It was just emotional pain. My heart was hurting. I felt like someone had taken my heart and just like, I don't know, did something awful to it. I was so exhausted and I was, I was crying and sleeping and crying. And finally I told my dad, I can't be at this agency anymore. I can't walk around and the girls are pregnant and Mm -hmm. I just can't be here. Like I need to heal. I need to go home. And I went home and I cried for a whole week straight, like the whole entire week. And I had to go back to the agency because I had to sign papers and my visitation and all that. So I knew I had to be strong enough to do that. So you didn't sign your relinquishment papers at the hospital. You did it after. Correct. So unfortunately, I didn't know who the father was. I had several different options. So therefore, during that time, um, you have to be 72 hours or 42 hours drug-free, first of all. Second of all, yeah. And so drug-free, medicine-free, and I was not. I was on drugs as long as I could just to Mm. go to sleep. And it was pain medicine or or sleep, whatever medicine, because I was in so much pain from it. So I I had to wait. And then once I signed my papers, we still had to wait for the birth fathers to be, to sign their rights or for them to find them. So I still had the six weeks with him, which I'm really blessed for that because most of the time the adoptions are a lot quicker than that. And you place quicker. I actually got the whole six weeks with, with my birth son. And I got, it was like Monday through Friday for three hours a day. And I spent every one of them with him. So it was really nice to have that. And I got to see his first smile. I got to, you know, like just those little things and just that little time. The foster family that took him was a family that would come to the agency And it was a Christian family and they would cook for us. They they had like seven kids and they would cook for us and do our makeup and our nails and just really make us feel good. And I chose them. I asked specific specifically that they were the birth there. They were the foster family for my child because I had built such a connection with it. 
And so they got to be the foster family. So I knew who he was going to. And they sent me so many pictures and he was so loved. So on placement day, I remember the foster family coming in and she was sitting with, I think it was a counselor. They have like offices and I don't know who was in what office. I don't remember it so long ago, but she was in there and she was crying. They had grown such an attachment with him because he was such a happy baby. Mm -hmm. And so did I. And I wasn't supposed to see her crying, but I remember seeing her crying and just remembering like how many lives he's already touched Mm -hmm. and he hasn't even been where he's supposed to go. I dressed him up in this little blue outfit and um, little blue socks and I brushed his hair because he had so much hair. It was so much (laughs) hair. And I um, just kind of talked to him. My grandmother was there. My sister was there. We just kind of passed him around and talked to him and gave him all the love. I think I got like two hours with him before placement or three. I can't remember. I wrapped him up in a blanket. We walked down this long hall and these two big doors opened and the family was there. The room seemed so big and I was just so small in this room. I walk in there and I hand the baby to his mother and the two little kids come up and hug me and dad comes up with a gift and I got a little bracelet that says in Hawaiian sweetheart. So dad put the bracelet on me and mom was singing to the baby and rocking the baby and we just kind of took pictures and hung out and my grandmother and my sister started crying. So they kind of put them out of the room. During that time, it wasn't the hardest time for me. Honestly, it was more serene, more like peaceful, knowing that my decision was made, everything, all the hard parts over with. I was numb. I didn't really know what was coming next, but I knew that this was a decision I had made and this was the correct decision. This, I never felt regret. It was just a decision I had to make. We have a semi-open uh, adoption. What that means is I get pictures and letters. In the beginning, it was email because we didn't have Facebook or texting or any of that. I don't know their information. I happen to know their last name just because their email had it, but that's as much information as I can have. Back then, it was you were supposed to mail pictures and letters. We never did that, thank goodness, because I don't know if I could have done that, but we always did email. Once Facebook was a thing, she started messaging me on Facebook, and that's how we talked directly, which I love, because like anything exciting that happens, I can go to Facebook and be like, hey, this really cool thing happened today, and here's Mm -hmm. pictures or whatever, and then she has an instant response, and so Mm -hmm. usually she sends me pictures around his birthday. So I usually get pictures about once a year. He's 17 now. So it's not like the milestones where you want pictures every three months. He kind of looks the same, you know, (laughs) he's doing his own thing. And for this past birthday, I got a video of him and I had never seen him talk or alive, be alive, just still pictures (laughs) since he was born. So it was like the coolest thing ever to see and hear him talk. And it was a basic, like, happy birthday. They were singing happy birthday to him. And he, he was opening up a gift. And so it was just something so simple. And just literally, I watched it all day long and cried. Because yeah. it was just like, wow. Like, I was able to give him life and give him this life of, like, beautiful family. Everyone loves him. You can tell he's so loved. And he has so many friends. And he just was accepted into college. So he's a senior now in high school. And so... I'm just really proud of him and proud of my decision. Take us through post 
placement of what were those years like between 14 and where you are now? Okay. So it was very hard. Um, in the beginning, my dad had done a room makeover, but during that time, I just felt empty. I felt like something was missing out of my life and I couldn't talk about it. My family, we didn't talk about it. Once he was placed, we don't, we don't talk about it. It never happened. We just move on. To this day, y'all still don't speak about it? It's awkward for me. It's really, I'd rather talk to mm. you guys and talk to the world about my adoption story than my own family. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So there was one point, actually, I went to a birth mother's retreat thing, and I had met my family down somewhere nearby, and I had brought the birth mother friend with me, and um, my dad's wife asked her, she was so happy for her and, and was so she was like you're so courageous and all mm. these wonderful things about her and never once did that with me so mm. it was like it still kind of hurts my stomach to think of that like a gut yeah. punch because it's like your own family could see somebody else as courageous but can't recognize it in their own family so that kind of hurt so it's really awkward to talk about with my family so I just put it away it was my own secret because I went to high school I was now in high school and I'm like y'all look at this wonderful thing I did you know adoption so wonderful blah 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 and a freshman in high school like uh you had a baby that's gross <laughs> like you know it was like you know that's weird yeah so I was just like yeah you know and, and I did this wonderful thing and I made this awesome decision and and I got shunned in and yeah. lost so many friends and then I was you know, stories get made up and I just kind of put it away. It was my own secret. I only told like my grandmother has a calendar and my grandmother was a very, very strong support system for me. She was literally the only one that I could go to and, and feel free to talk about it. Did the agency have any like resources like therapy or a group or anything like that? So being Gone 14 to? and turning 15, I had turned 15 close soon after. Um, they did have those things. But I didn't have a car and the agency wasn't very close. Um, mm. So yes, they only had, from what I remember, just a group meeting, but okay. I couldn't make it to that, nor was I really wanting to, because I didn't, I wanted to get away from the agency and, and not, I wanted to be normal again. I wanted to not be a part of it or I didn't okay. know how to be a part of it, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And I think even just because your family was telling you to move on, get over it, you know, this is what needed to be done. I can, I can see why you kind of wanted to separate yourself. I wanted to move on and be regular. I wanted to have friends and be cheerleading and going to football games and doing those things. So I wanted to ignore the weird part about me and move on and go yeah. do something different. Yeah. It's so I did that for some years and, but that empty hole in my heart never went away. There was a guy and he was the first person I ever opened up to. And I got pregnant with my son, my 15-year-old. And my family told me, basically, you need to choose adoption again or you, you need to find a place to live. So basically, that was where I just kind of moved on. Uh, at this point, I was 16 going on 17. And so I moved on with that and um, decided to parent no matter what obstacles I had. I felt like this is so silly, but I felt like that was going to mend that heart of my heart. I felt mm. like 
that child was going to take place to the other child, which by the way, that does not work. Yeah. <laughs> I don't suggest doing that to any, for anyone. I love my son to death. I would never change my life for that. I don't have regrets, but you know, at the same time, I would never suggest someone to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. This boyfriend of yours, you were six, mm-hmm. going on 17, pregnant, choosing to parent. And then what happened after that? Um, I went through many different relationships where they were broken and many different friendships. I found an, a man who, uh, not the same boyfriend, but I found a man that we got engaged and it didn't work out and just lots of broken relationships. And I yeah. didn't find therapy or help or grief help for myself until about six years ago. So I'm 32 now. So it took many years for me to find a place to feel safe. I found a ministry, the most, all birth moms come together at this retreat and they have three days just to help you heal and, and, and talk about it. And they have lessons and things that they make you feel good. They do massages and nails and facials and it's just a big girls weekend with other birth moms who have gone through the same things you have with a totally different story than you have. Mm. So I got to meet all these wonderful women in this ministry and I got to heal and I believe in God and I believe in all that. And, and I really was able to talk to God one-on-one and he's really helped me heal from that. The agency didn't really, they had the options available. I just never used them until now. 17 years later, I now accepted help from the agency. In fact, now that the agency has changed over, I guess, or connected with more, there's a lot more options available now. They yeah. now offer so much more help than they did before, which is wonderful. That is amazing. Um, and I want, I want to emphasize that real quick for any birth mothers who are listening that feel they're too late to get help or because they're so far along their journey, resources right. may not be available to them just because they weren't available when they placed, please contact your respective agency or maybe any agency and see what resources they might be able to provide because that is something I think a lot of birth moms tell themselves is, well, it's too late or it wasn't available when I was there. So they won't offer it to me now and just see, see if the agency will provide help. Cause that's amazing that it wasn't like the offer to help you expired after a certain point. Adoption has a funny way of creeping up when you least expect it. Every single year, the end of July, beginning of August, I go through this phase, which I didn't even realize you do it by accident. Your body basically tells you it's time to grieve Mm -hmm. and no matter, it doesn't care that you have a big event coming. It doesn't care that you have to do something like it doesn't care. Grief comes up no matter what. And when you don't know how to deal with grief, you go into a deep, dark place with yourself and it's not very fun. And this year was really bad for me. Mm. Uh, it lasted about a month and I went to a place I, I had never been. And I, my, I have a one-year-old, so I don't know if it was postpartum on top of grief, mm. on top of adoption, on top of everything, but it just really hit me hard this year. Also with him being 17, turning 18 with that timeline, you know, you feel like he's going to find you at 18 and that may not be the case. So hearing some things kind of, I needed help. And so I reached out to the agency and all I had to do is pick a counselor. And they said, here you go. You get six free sessions unless you need more than whatever. But it really, like you said, like it's never too late. Yeah. And yeah. if you need the help, reach out and, and 
they hopefully will have resources for you. Yeah. So this past year going through a really, you know, dark place initiated the therapy, but what got you to do the retreat and start going to birth mother support groups? 2015, 2016. I was thinking one day, like it was in the middle of the night and I was up all night and I was like, I wonder if there's just a group of birth moms. Cause I had just been really feeling, I think it was around his birthday or something. And I was just like, you know, I really want to have friends with birth moms and like talk about this. And like, I, I just had this urge to want more. And I looked, I just Googled fate on Facebook, birth moms, birth mom, this birth mom, that. And I found a group and it was an awful group. It was, I had posted my story and these women were like, just, I guess they are scorned from their birth stories or mm. birth. I don't yeah. really know, but it was like an awful, like they were not friendly. And well, one of the girls in there had said, Hey, she messaged me. She was like, Hey, you, this is not a good group. Go to this group instead. Um, they've helped me a lot, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember the whole conversation, but go to this group. Yeah. So I went to this group and this group was like amazing. And they had a retreat coming up. Like, she's like, we have a treat next month. You know, if you get your paperwork in, we'll fly you out. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. You know, like I definitely want to do that. And so I flew out and I was nervous and, oh, it was so much fun. Like the first day is like awkward. But after that, that Saturday morning, you have worship and they pray and then like you go through the motions. You're like, oh, this sounds like a church camp. I don't want to get up early. You know, I don't want to do these <laughs> things. I, I really, you know, I don't know these people, but it was so much more than that. Like once you get through the worship and the praying, everything else is like self-healing. Like they have counselors and they have ministry. It's a ministry. So they have several different people out there that were like willing to help and hear your story and help you go through the motions of what do I need to do next? How do I need to heal this um, relationships, mending your relationships? Because I've noticed a lot of birth moms, this is just my personal opinion, have problems with dating and relationships because of that abandonment and that hurt that you had, that it's so hard to find a relationship that you trust and that you don't have trust issues with because of the things that I've dealt with. And mm -hmm. a lot of the times I've met birth moms who choose terrible man after terrible man after terrible man because they just they don't I don't know I, I've just seen it so many times yeah where it's just like abandonment pro I don't really know what what it is I think also when you take it down to the level of attachment issues of not even with you know whoever the birth father is and whatever that situation is but mm -hmm. also when you have a child that you aren't bonding to whether it's breastfeeding or waking up at the you know middle of the night like your body is supposed to be mm -hmm. attached Part to this that. child and so to experience a detachment that's so unnatural I think that would naturally like taint and I hate to say taint because it sounds so negative but almost mix into any other relationship yeah, and it doesn't right. for everyone but I think it would be natural or normal if it were to that any other right. form of attachment following that experience is going to be maybe more difficult. So that's interesting. You so. saw that pattern at that retreat. So Madison, you're now in a healthy relationship. Y'all have been together about what, eight years now, right? Correct. Okay. Awesome. And you've since then had two boys with him. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Awesome. So how, how has your upbringing like your family structure as a child affected how you parent now and how you kind of 
your family structure now? So growing up, my family, we were, you know, upper middle class and we had our own rooms. We had a mommy and daddy and I had a brother and sister. We had TVs and computers. We had everything we ever wanted and needed. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very taken care of. The only thing that was really lacking with my family was closeness and love and affection. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I really was very distant from anybody. Communication was lacking. We just were from the outside looking in, we looked nice, but on the inside, we were not very close. So growing up and as that, it was very hard to be accepted and to, um, I wanted to be accepted. I, I wanted to be liked. I wanted the love. I was always looking for love and always looking for affection. And most of the time it was in the wrong places. Now that I'm in a relationship now and I have a family now, the difference that I would do now is, is I give my kids love and I make time for them. And every week we have family day and family day that everyone has to go. Even my 15 year old who does not want to go, my 12 year old wants to play games. We make sure family day is important. And every yeah. Sunday is family day. We visit, you know, his family is a very close family. And I love that. Every Mm. relationship I've been in, their family has always been a huge family and I want a big family. You know, I have four boys. I I want, I wanted a big family. I wanted the closeness. My sister and I are very close. So I made sure me and my sister, and we have family traditions and that we are involved in family. Their cousins play together and there is so much love and so much affection that I'm smothering them almost, but not, you know, in a lovely way, you know. Have y'all had the conversation of that you are a birth mother and that they have this other brother out in the world? Is that a conversation y'all have had? I have a picture up. I've had a picture up of okay. him in my house since they were little. So they have known Perfect. literally from the, when they were born that they have yeah. a brother. They ask questions about him all the time. Mm. And um, my husband just last night, because I had printed those, some pictures of him, um, to some updated ones, because I have like a yeah. baby picture of him. I can't wait for all five of them to be in the same room together because they mm-hmm. all look alike. So it's just going to be like so serene, so surreal, like... Yeah. It's just going to be pretty cool. You touched on it earlier talking about that 18 year timeline. So he's 17 mm-hmm. now about to go off to college. Mm-hmm. Has he reached out or, or has it remained semi-open? What is that current um, relationship? Currently it's just his mother that I speak to. Um, I've never really spoke to his dad or to him. He doesn't have a Facebook. I don't think, I don't know if he has social media when he's ready. I'm here and I'm ready and ready to love him and embrace him and everything that he has good or bad. Like we're ready, but I know he's probably not. He's in high school senior and he's a football player, football star. He looks good. He's got good looking friends. Like he's (laughs) doing his senior year and all about him. And he should, every single bit should be selfish and all about himself. I would rather him be comfortable finding us and in making that more of a natural thing versus something where he has to do it. Right. And so as hard as that is for me to hear, because you're, you're right. I do have a timeline. My grandma has a calendar. She's been marking down days and you know, we're down to 365 days and at least turns 18, but you know, I'm sure it'll be more like 25, 30 when he probably finds a girlfriend and she, you know, gets pregnant or something like you need to make sure we need, you know, whatever. And so probably the time, because that's how men are, you know, men like simple, 
keeping things simple and and that's fine I have five four boys of my own including my husband so I get it I understand <laughs> yeah. it yeah, yeah. I, I could I could see a 17 year old boy not desiring emotional complexity yeah and, none of that you know being a little bit more you know not let a, him go party and be in college and live his life and then come back and, and come see me and it's okay yeah. I do want to be part of his wedding though hopefully <laughs> I think something that um Em and I have talked about this on the podcast and outside the podcast is this adoption arrangement and decision is we make it for the child, right? And so at the end of the day, we have to respect, you know, the adoptee's feelings and um, what they feel they are ready for or not ready for. I'm also hopeful that once my daughter is older, that she'll want to have this amazing relationship with me, but she may, she may be like, I... I'm good, you know, like, thank you, mm -hmm. but I'm good. Um, mm -hmm. And that's scary to think about that possibility, but I made a decision about her life before she can even make her own decision. And so when she now has that, once she's old enough to make that decision for herself, then we need to respect whatever it is, right? And so, right, right. Yeah, and it reminds me of Courtney's episode where her birth son is 20 years old and, you know, he hasn't reached out. She talks about that, how you almost expect at like 18 like on the birthday they're gonna like call and and there might be some adoptees that do or when they're younger um, they express interest you know at that point it's up to the adoptive parents to pursue a relationship but to not compare to other yeah, other right, adoption right. you know situations what matters is that you and your husband and y'all's children are so excited and have open right, right. Whatever, and hopefully that day comes you know, preferably sooner than later. Sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Madison, as we wrap up um, today's episode, what advice would you give young expectant mothers who are facing unplanned pregnancy? And um, that everything's going to be okay to take a deep breath. This is only a moment of your story, the moment of your life that is going to be extravagant later on. I know it hurts right now. And I know you're going through a lot of pain and confusion and things that you don't understand, take one day at a time and reach out. If you need help, get help, find a community. There's so many birth mothers out there. There's so many mentors out there. There's so many people out there that will bend over backwards to make sure you're taken care of, that you have a whole community of women who are ready to embrace you and take you through this so you're not alone. Well, Madison, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day to tell your story. Sure. I know some of our listeners might've heard your sweet baby crying for you in the background. <laughs> so as you know, we mentioned earlier, you, you are a mom of, you know, what, 15 to a one-year-old. And so, so I think uh, for their sanity, we'll have to wrap it up so you can go be a mom to those little ones. Thank you again. I am just so amazed by your story and I hope that our listeners get as much out of it as we have. Thank you. And thank you everyone sure. for listening. I hope you have a great day and come back next week for another episode. Bye. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.